let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 48, one of the songs of Zion, Psalm 48. We're going to read the whole psalm this morning. The sermon will be on the first eight verses, and then, Lord willing, next week we'll be able to finish the psalm, verses 9 to 14. But we are going to read all of this psalm. Psalm 48, beginning in verse 1. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion, in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled, they came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded, they were in panic, they took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there, anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish, as we have heard So have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels. That you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Let's pray for God's blessing upon his word. Our God, we thank you that you are great and greatly to be praised, that you have gathered us together on this day to come and praise you, and that you speak to us, that you have revealed yourself here through the Holy Scriptures that are perfect. They are without error, and they come from your mouth. We thank you for what your word says, that all these things were written for our instruction, so that through the encouragement of the scriptures, these scriptures in the Old Testament, we might have hope. And so God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts, that you would draw us to Jesus Christ, that you would glorify your name, so that your people today might have hope in you, might see you as the great God to be praised, and that we might follow you and honor you with our lives in the way that you are worthy of. We ask you to speak, O Lord, for we desire to hear you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you have heard people talk about 
a happy place. And people have their happy place. Uh, It's a place that for them they love to go to. They've been there. They love to think about. Every time they go there, it makes them happy. Every time they think about it, it makes them happy. And people talk about this happy place and even in like a a pop psychology kind of way that they they say that when you are anxious or when you are fearful uh, or when you are sad, that you should just focus your mind on the happy place. And by focusing your mind on this place, maybe even looking at a picture of it, it will help your body then to calm down. And you'll stop being anxious or fearful or sad about the situation that you're in. It's a way to kind of trick your mind by thinking about a place like that. So some people have a happy place that they call uh, they might be, it might be for them Disney World. For some people it might be Hawaii. For others it's Montana and the mountains of Montana. For some of you it might be a lake in New York. Sitting there on a boat with a fishing rod. That's your happy place. So what is your happy place? What is that place that you love to think about? Well, Israel, we could say in a real sense, in a, in a very serious sense, not in a silly way, they had a happy place. They had a place that they loved to go to, a place that they loved to talk about, a place that they loved to think about, and they loved it so much that they even wrote songs to sing about it. And this place was Zion. Zion, the place where God dwelled, the place where they could travel to go up to the temple, the place where they could worship him, the place that they could think about to remind themselves of God's greatness and God's love for them. They wrote about Zion, these songs that seemed to become sort of like patriotic songs for them. Just like Americans, we don't just have the Star Spangled Banner. We have America the Beautiful and God Bless America. Well, Israel had songs of Zion where they would sing about the greatness of Zion. We saw one in Psalm 46. We have it here, another one in Psalm 48. We have Psalm 87, which was the psalm that we sang just before this. It's another song of Zion. And when things were difficult for the people of Israel... When they were discouraged, they would sing to one another and sing to themselves these songs of Zion. Maybe even when they're being attacked by other nations, they would sing in Jerusalem to inspire confidence in themselves, confidence for themselves that that God was going to be with them. That God was their fortress, their refuge, their strength, because they had Zion. The people of Israel loved Zion. And we as Christians today, we should think on Zion. We need to set our minds and our hearts on the city of God. In verse 13, when it says, consider well, it literally says there, to set your heart upon the ramparts. God wants us to set our hearts upon this great city, the city of God that is called Zion. Christians need to love 
Zion and think about Zion. And we'll talk about today what that place is. What is the city of God? But that's what this psalm is about. Telling us to find our joy by setting our hearts, setting our minds upon this city of God. And this psalm tells us that Zion is a beautiful place. The beautiful Zion that we should want to be a part of. And so I hope by the end of this message this morning that you will want to be a part of Zion yourself. Now as we look at this psalm and we look at the first eight verses, we're going to see two parts of what it is telling us about Zion. First, it tells us that Zion is a glorious city. And then second, that Zion is the indestructible fortress. So let's begin by looking at that part one. Zion is a glorious city in verses one to three. In the words of John Newton in that hymn that we just sang, glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion city of our God. Well, that's what we see. Let's read verses one to three. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. And so the psalm starts by telling us about the Lord, about Yahweh. This is the name of the Lord. Yahweh is great. He is a great God because he is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good, all-righteous, all-just, all-loving, eternal, never-ending, never-beginning. He is a great God, a sovereign God, who can do all things according to the counsel of His will. Great is the Lord. Because He is great, He is greatly to be praised. He is worthy of much praise. That's what it means. His, His praise should not be small. It should not be light. It is to be great praise because it's fitting, it's appropriate for a great God. The greater God is, the greater His praise should be. He is greatly to be praised, worthy of all honor and blessing and glory and power and might. He is one who you could compliment for eternity and never have enough compliments to describe him. He is one that you could write songs for forever to try to come up with language to express his greatness and you could never express in words how great he is. He is the one you could give lavish gifts to for all of your life and you would never give him what he deserves because he is greatly to be praised he is far above anything that we could ever do for him and so this great Yahweh who should be much praised he has called us invited us to come and praise him he's called us to come to him in his city. He has a city. It's the city of our God. And that is where he is to be praised and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. He is a king. 
And he is to be exalted and praised within his kingdom. And so he invites people to become his subjects, to become part of his kingdom, to enter into this fortress and to bow before him and worship him. And and you will receive the blessings and the life and the protection of being in the fortress, but you are to come to him, come into his city, come into his city upon his holy mountain. Now you might have different translations, and this is maybe a minor point, but, but here in my ESV, his holy mountain is starting a new sentence. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Well, it seems better, and maybe this is in your Bible, his holy mountain goes with the first sentence. This is what I think is, is a better way to understand this. Take verse 1, all as one sentence. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, His holy mountain. Period. And so what it's saying, it's a slight difference, but it's saying that the city of God equals the holy mountain. His holy mountain is a way of describing the city. God's city is on top of a mountain. That's what Ezekiel sees when Ezekiel is shown a vision in chapter 40 of this new temple. But it starts out, it says that God shows him a city that is on a mountain. It's what we see in Revelation 21 and 22 when John also has a vision. And John sees the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, the city of God, come down out of heaven, and it comes on top of a mountain. So this is the city of God. The city of God is is upon God's holy mountain. It's the kingdom of God where he reigns. So this mountain in verse 2 is called Mount Zion. Let's think about what Mount Zion is and how this applies to Christians. What is Zion? Well, People in Old Testament times believed that their gods would live on top of mountains. And so the mountain, the top of the mountain, was the meeting point of heaven and earth. If the god were to come down and visit his people, he would come down on top of the mountain. And so they would build a temple for him. A temple was just a house. It was where the god would live while he came down from heaven. And people around them, around Israel, believed that their gods lived on top of mountains. Uh, The Canaanites believed that Baal, their greatest god, he lived on top of Mount Zaphon. Now, verse 2 actually makes a reference to Mount Zaphon in the word north. Probably in in, in our Bibles, every Bible is translated as Mount Zion in the north. Well, the word north is the word Zaphon. And so, what he's alluding to, or making a reference to, is the dwelling place of the god Baal. So, think about it this way. Like, if someone were to build a house, and to paint it white, and they would put a big sign, they'd have a black gate on the outside of the house, and put a big sign on their gate that says, The White House. Are they just putting a sign so that everybody knows that their house is painted white? 
Probably not. We would all get the reference. They're, they're making a reference to that place in Washington, D.C., where the president lives. It's the White House. And so they're trying to make their house kind of make some sort of reference to the White House. And so when verse 2 says Mount Zion is in the far north, he's not just using the word north. He's saying that Mount Zion is above, past Zephon. The place where Baal lives, God lives higher up. And so verse 2 is saying, Yahweh, he's greater than your God Baal because his mountain is taller. And that's what Isaiah 2 tells us about Zion. That the mountain of the house of the Lord would be established as the highest of the mountains. So the highest of the mountains to show that God is the highest of all gods. God is the great God. So Mount Zion is where God lives, where God reigns as the king. For Israel, Mount Zion was Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem was the place originally where David got some land, and he got this land on top, uh, top of Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah was where Abraham sacrificed, or was going to sacrifice his son Isaac, and God provided a ram on Mount Moriah. Well, later on, that same mountain, David purchases this land, and he wants to build a temple upon it. That's where Solomon, his son, builds the temple of Israel. It's right there in Jerusalem. But Mount Zion kind of came on to take kind of a legendary status. It wasn't just about the, the physical city of Jerusalem in Israel, but took on a, a deeper meaning. So again, we can think about the White House. When someone were to attack the, the White House, if a terrorist were to bomb the White House, the problem is not, where's the president going to sleep? There are plenty of places for the president to sleep or to live. The reason a terrorist would want to attack the White House is because the White House is symbolic, represents America, represents democracy and freedom. And so the, the little city Jerusalem in Israel, yes, it's important to Israel, but it takes on a much greater, deeper meaning. It's the great place where God is with his people. And that's what it, the Bible means when it calls this place Zion. Far more than just the city of Jerusalem. So what about Christians? What is Mount Zion for us? Well, the New Testament tells us that Mount Zion is the church and it's heaven. It's our heavenly kingdom, the presence of God that will be with, with him forever. But it starts even on this earth with the church. Christ establishes his church and he is with her. And one day the church will be perfect. And that's the heavenly kingdom. You see this in Hebrews Chapter 12, verses 24 and 26, uh, uh, 22, actually. Hebrews 12, 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, 
the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. He's talking to Christians, and he says, you have come to Mount Zion. He's not talking about the land in Israel, and he's not talking about heaven, because they're not in heaven yet. He's talking about in the church. They are assembling. That word assembly is the word congregation. When they come to the congregation, they are coming to join the universal church, the, the congregation that some of them are already in heaven. The angels are there praising God. And we as a church, when we come together, we're joining with the angels and and praising God. We're joining with all believers across time and across all places. We're coming to Mount Zion. That's what he calls it. Mount Zion also points, points us to heaven. Hebrews 11, the chapter right before that, says, Abraham is looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham was looking forward to heaven. Heaven is the city of God. And that's what Psalm 48 tells us about Zion. So Christians today, we should love Zion. We should look forward to heaven and we should love the church here on earth, the, the taste of heaven, the taste of what Zion is going to become. So, he describes Zion there back in verse 2 of Psalm 48. Zion is beautiful in elevation and the joy of all the earth. Now, this helps us to understand what Zion is because Jerusalem, the city itself, was not really that high up. There was a mountain, Mount Hermon, that's a taller mountain. Why didn't they build the temple there on Mount Hermon? Jerusalem, you could not really describe as the joy of all the earth. It's not a very glorious city. Remember Babylon and one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Babylon's gardens? I mean, Babylon was a glorious city. Jerusalem's a relatively small city. So why is he saying this is beautiful in elevation and the joy of all the earth? He's not lying here. What makes it beautiful and joyful is that it's the city of the king. It's that God has come in and taken over and made his home there. God took this little village that was a threshing floor that David purchased, and then God took over and he made it glorious. And that's the work that God does. That's the work that God does for Zion. That's the work that God does for the church. He takes his church that outwardly does not look very glorious. Most churches meet in buildings that are not the flashiest buildings. And the people in the church, they're not all that glorious. Some people in the church might get on your nerves. You say, how could that be the joy of all the earth going to church? 
Sometimes church can be even a bad place, a hurtful place, a place where maybe you have experienced abuse of physical or spiritual kinds, a place where maybe people just are using you for your money, a place where people hurt you, a place that some people say is a brood of vipers because it's full of dead people spiritually dead people and spiritually dead people do really sinful things they, they hurt people maybe you've experienced some of these things in, in church and you would hardly describe the church as glorious but see what's great about the church is that Christ died for the church and he cleanses her with the water of the word and he is making her pure and spotless and that's why the church is glorious Because the work of Christ in her. Because Christ, the Messiah, Isaiah says, takes ashes and turns them into beauty. This is what Paul says about the church. He says, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It's 1 Corinthians 1. God takes things that are not, and he makes them glorious. He cleans them, and he transforms them. So, A few applications for you and me as we think about these first two verses. First, don't give up on the church. Love the church. Love the church because the church is the joy of all the earth. The church is beautiful in elevation. The church is beautiful. Love the church because the church is God's plan A for his kingdom. And he does not have a plan B. It is his plan to establish his kingdom. Set your heart upon the church. In the words of verse 13. Set your heart upon her. Love her. Give yourself to her. Live out 1 Corinthians 13 in the church. Do not be irritable. Don't get irritated by other people. Be kind to other people. Believe all things. Believe the best about others in the church bear all things when people offend you bear with it forgive it one puritan said we should we should all work hard to give no offense and take no offense so you do your best to not offend people in the church and also do your best to not be offended think well maybe they didn't mean it that way or maybe when they did that thing they weren't really trying to personally upset me or offend me. That's 1 Corinthians 13. Believe all things. Bear all things. So even when the church doesn't look so glorious, love her. Love her in the 1 Corinthians 13 way because she is glorious. She is Mount Zion. And the second thing is... Don't think that God can't use you to serve his kingdom. Jerusalem, if it could talk, 
Jerusalem could sit around and say, well, there are other mountains taller than me. There are other cities bigger than me. There are other places more glorious than me. What could I do for God? But when God chooses Jerusalem and transforms her, he makes her glorious. And he does the same with the church, and he does the same with the people in the church. God likes to take those that are nothing and use them so that it brings glory to him and not to the person. I've heard Paul Washer say several times, he says, God takes the runt of the litter and makes something out of them. So if you sit around and think you're the runt of the litter, well, what could God use me for? I'm not very smart. I'm not very wise. I'm not very mature. Well, God can work through you. What you need to do is submit yourself to him. Tell him that you will do whatever he calls you to do. God will equip you. He will give you the gifts if he wants you to serve in a certain way. He will mature you if there's immaturity in you. He will help you fight sin if there is sin that is keeping you from serving him. But what you must do is submit to him. Be like Isaiah who said, Here I am. Send me. Zion is glorious. So love Zion and be part of Zion. And God can use you. Well, the second part of this psalm is verses 4 to 8 for our sermon today. And we're going to be looking at Zion as an indestructible fortress. Again, to quote the hymn, On the rock of ages founded, what can shake thy sure repose with salvation's walls surrounded thou may smile at all thy foes you look over the walls and you smile at the enemies who dare think they can attack Mount Zion and this is what we see in verses 4 to 8 it actually starts in verse 3 as kind of a transition because in verse 4 we have the word for Verses 4 to 7 are going to be a story, an example of something that's happening to make the point of verse 3. So verse 3 says, within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. There are citadels in Zion. Now you may not really know what a citadel is. There's a university called the Citadel. It's a military school. It sounds very intense. Uh, But the citadel is a fortress within the fortress. It's the place where the commander might be to protect him from the, the fight on the outside. It's the place where you put the strongest fortifications. And if the walls are broken into, people run to the citadel. And that's kind of the last resort of the protection for the people and for the city. And so, verse 3 says, there are citadels in Zion. Multiple places, multiple places of stronghold and protection where people can go and find their refuge in Zion. Well, now let's let's see an example of this, verses 4 to 7. For behold, the kings assembled. They came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there. Anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind you shattered the ships 
of Tarshish. Maybe you know that saying by Julius Caesar, Vini Vidi Vici, I came, I saw, I conquered. And here in verses 4 to 7, we have, I came, I saw, I did not conquer. I trembled, I panicked, and I ran away. That's what the kings did. So the story starts with the kings assembling themselves together. They make some sort of alliance. They, maybe they're, they're scared of God dwelling in Zion. Maybe they feel threatened. Maybe they, they want the city for themselves. Let's all come together. And maybe we can take down God. Like Psalm 2 says, the kings of the earth set themselves together against the Lord, against His anointed, saying, let us burst our bonds apart. We've got to work together because this God's pretty strong. So let's get together. They come together. They approach Zion. But verse 5 says, As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight. They start shaking. Oh, why are they astounded? Maybe as they look at the city and they look at the giant walls, maybe they have heard about it and now they've seen it. And they're like, wow, this is way Stronger than I had imagined. If you've been somewhere like the Grand Tetons, you can hear about it, you can watch it on TV, you can see pictures, but then you go to it and you say, wow, those mountains are really, really big. Those are a lot bigger. Uh, Like I could daydream about mountain climbing those mountains when I see them on TV, but when I'm there, no way can I climb that mountain. So maybe they are realizing that the task ahead of them, wow, this is bad. Maybe it's just the fact that uh, they're getting hit with reality that they're about to lose. So, you know, you can talk theoretically in your head about joining the military. Oh, yeah, it'd be so great to be part of the military. But then you're actually in the battle. And the bullets are flying at you. And you think, oh no, what have I done? I'm about to die now. This was, this was not a joke. This was not theory. Signing up for the military means I could actually be dead in five seconds. And so maybe that's what they're thinking. We were foolish. Gathering ourselves together against this Zion. There's no way we're going to take down Zion. We're dead. So they panic. They are astounded. It says that, verse 6, trembling takes hold of them there, anguish as of a woman in labor. Now, pretty self-explanatory, the pain of a woman in labor and what that would feel like and the trembling and the anguish. But maybe it's also talking about that idea of there is now no turning back. Like a woman in labor, right, who who gets everything ready, has the baby shower, gets gets the nursery ready, and at any moment, um, it could be 2 a.m., it could be 2 p.m., you could be at the grocery store, you could be at home. At any moment, the contractions start, the labor starts, and at that point, there is no turning back. And maybe that's what they're feeling. There is no turning back now. We are dead. And they are dead. Because of verse 7, 
As they flee, it says, by the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. Remember the story of Jonah. Jonah was called to go to Nineveh and preach, and he rebelled. And so he gets on a ship to Tarshish. They were the big ships. The ships that could carry a lot of cargo, used here for war to carry soldiers and, and weapons. And so they get on their big ships, but just like with Jonah. God sent the wind to have the ship almost break up, and they throw Jonah overboard. And here, they try to run away, but what they don't realize is that God is in control of the wind, too. God appoints wind, so the wind comes, and it breaks the ships of Tarshish, and they all die. And so they say in verse 8, as we have heard, So we have seen. We've heard many stories about how God has protected his people. Now we've seen it with our own eyes. Each generation in Israel, it seemed, has their story about how God defended Jerusalem. My favorite one is when the king of Assyria surrounded Hezekiah and he said he had him like a bird in a cage. The king was so confident He's about to kill Hezekiah. But then the angel of the Lord comes and kills 185,000 troops during the night. God protected Jerusalem. God defends his city. They've heard these stories. Now they've seen it with their eyes. So we can apply this also to the church. The church is founded on the rock of ages. The church is verse 8. God's building that he will establish forever. For some reason, kings keep trying to take down the church. For some reason, people keep attacking the church. For some reason, the nations keep persecuting the church. Do they not realize that they're going to lose? They're going to die. There's no point in trying to attack the church. As we see in our day, there, our, our culture is a mostly secular culture now that is attacking the church and trying to take down the church, but we don't need to panic about that. They need to panic. They're attacking the king. And so, as some of you who are older, perhaps you have seen how the Lord has brought his church through difficult trials, whether within the church or with going through the, the, the tumult of the culture and the things that have happened in the world. You've seen how Christ has always established his church. You have seen it. Those of us who are younger have heard stories of it. We, we study history and we learn the history of Christ's church. But those of us who are my age, one day, 50 years, we will be sitting around drinking coffee and we will be talking about our stories. Can you remember 2020? Can you remember 2022 and all the crazy things that were happening in America, all the crazy things that were happening in New York and how people were always making fun of us and people hated us for being Christians and they thought we were bigots and they thought all these things about us. That was funny, wasn't it? Can't you remember how Christ brought us through those crazy times in those days? As we have heard So we will see Christ establishes 
his church. So again, we'll end with a few applications for us. The most important one is that you be a citizen of Zion. That you live in this city. Millions of people right now are living in the city of man. They are devoting their lives to cities that are crumbling and breaking down. What happens when cities crumble? People leave. People move out. It's fool, foolish to live in a city that's breaking down. And yet people are devoting their lives right now to the city of man. Pursuing pleasure, pursuing making more and more money, pursuing earning more and more degrees, pursuing entertainment and sports, constantly giving themselves to the world and all its desires, which the Bible says are vanishing, passing away, crumbling, coming to nothing. And the Bible says one day Jesus will return. And it will be like a woman going into labor. It will be sudden. And at that point, there will be no turning back. Everything that you are giving your life to right now, you will realize is nothing. Vanity. Emptiness. But the problem is that at that point, there will be nothing you can do about it. Christ will have already returned and you will face him at the judgment. And so today... God says to you, today is the day for you to move out of that city that's crumbling. Move into the city of God. Join yourself to Zion. Be born again in her. Be born at Zion's hospital through a spiritual rebirth. Do that by submitting to the king of Zion. Give your life over to him. Repent of your sins. Stop trying to live your life your own way but desire to follow him and seek him and ask the king to show you his mercy. Call upon him to pardon you because you've lived your life as one of these people rebelling against him, attacking him by your sin. Because of that, you face your judgment. But you can ask mercy and he will show you mercy. He promises To give mercy to all who truly call upon him. This Messiah, the King, is Jesus Christ. Who has died on the cross. And by his death he has taken on himself the punishment for sin. That rebellious people like us deserve. He took the execution of the rebel. So that we wouldn't have to. If we would go to him. Trust him to forgive us. Submit our lives to him. In repentance. If you become a citizen of Zion, solid joys and lasting treasures you will know instead of the decaying filth of this world. So be a citizen of Zion. Second, devote yourself to Zion, devote yourself to the Church of Christ. Give your life for the church. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 3 to believers. And he says that he has built upon, he has built a foundation of the church by planting those churches. 
And he says that the church, the Corinthians, they, they need to be careful how they will build on the foundation. Some people will build with good materials like precious stones. And some people will build with wood, hay, and straw. And the final day will come where God will test all of our work through fire. And those who built with hay and straw, their work will be burned up. He's talking about the rewards, not salvation. And so he's telling Christians, make sure that your life matters. Your life matters when you give yourself to the church with good materials. The word of God, the gospel, love. That's what Paul is saying. Give yourself to the city that will be established forever. How can you do that? Pray. Pray for the church of Christ. Pray daily. Pray fervently. Be an encourager. Encourage one another. Work for unity in the church. Serve your church. Serve other people in the church. Serve, I don't just mean it's, it's great to, to be in a position to help with VBS. Those are all good, helpful things. But serve someone who is in need. By doing that, you are building with good materials. Give generously to the church. Disciple others. Speak God's word to others so that you can help them grow. You can be a part of reinforcing Zion and making it a glorious city as as people come into her and then they grow in their faith and are strengthened in the faith. And above all, put on love. Love one another. That's how you devote yourself to the church. By loving others. So build the city of God up. Be a part of Mount Zion and devote yourself to her welfare and to her prosperity. And so the psalm is calling us to be patriots. Patriots of Zion, the city of God. Sing the songs of Zion. Set your heart on Zion. As you are pilgrims, Walking through this wilderness, the world full of sin and decay. Give your life to building up Zion. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy towards us. For your great love and your grace that came to us, saved us, and brought us into your presence. Thank you that in Christ and by the work of the Spirit, we can be part of this indestructible city. That you watch over us and you protect us. We pray, O Lord, that you would give us greater faith in you and in your goodness to us. 
It is easy to be deceived by the world that we see outside of us. But we pray, Lord, that you would give us spiritual eyes to see what will really last. Give us encouragement to always abound in the work of the Lord. To know that we are to not grow weary in doing good because you will reward us by your grace alone. And we will be filled with joy in this life and in the life to come. May you do these things for the glory of your name. We ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.